Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip, let it rip, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. I think I speak for both Doug and I when we say we've missed you so much these past two weeks under quarantine still and not having much to do. It's nice to take a step back, be able to talk about Virginia Tech athletics. Joined tonight by Doug. Doug, what's going on? Uh, Not a whole lot, unsurprisingly, um, but we do have some things to talk about. So would like to thank Virginia Tech athletics various recruits, transfers, etc., for giving us some um, some content to cover here after, you know, I'm on week three of working from home, which is basically the same routine every day. I know you were saying that you do the same thing every day. So let's talk about anything, that, <laughs> anything for Chain Tech related would be great. Yeah, and like you mentioned You know, it's Tuesday, March 31st right now when we're recording this episode. Heading into this one, we had a really nice idea that we would talk about our favorite football memories while we were students. We're still going to do that at the end, but just a whole plethora of events happened today on Tuesday, March 31st (laughs) that we'll cover in depth. Let's just jump straight into it. We'll start with basketball. Some big news out of basketball. First and foremost... Isaiah Wilkins is departing the program. He did an in-depth article with Mark Berman of the Roanoke Times and essentially said that it was not his decision to leave the program, but rather Mike Young approached him, was honest with him, said, you know, this might not be the right fit for you. We want to find something that's better for you. This is the direction we're heading And, you know, this is something that happens a lot and I don't think is publicized a lot, but a lot of credit to Isaiah Wilkins, who could have bashed Virginia Tech. Mike Young said terrible things about Virginia Tech in this article. Instead, very mature response to everything and just says it wasn't the right fit for me. I'm moving on and I hope I can find a new place to call home. Yeah, it's like you cover pretty typical, I'd say, conversation. We don't really get a glimpse behind it, but um, I think probably means Isaiah Wilkins liked being at Virginia Tech, like being on the basketball team at Virginia Tech, liked his teammates, liked his coaches, liked everything. But at a certain point, it's on the responsibility of the coach and the player to be on the same page about what your future playing time looks like. And I think that's what this comes down to is that um, Virginia Tech is pretty pretty deep at guard or on the wings and at 6'3", 
Um, Isaiah Wilkins going into his junior season now next year, he he wouldn't have a ton of playing time available. So credit to Mike Young for laying that out for him, you know, early. I mean, I think you could see a lot of coaches saying, we've got all these guards, let's get them in here and let them battle it out and we'll play the best ones. And whether that's Joe Bamisil or Darius Maddox or Wubisabidi or Isaiah Wilkins, you know, maybe you wait to see who, you know, how Wilkins comes back over the summer. But um, he got ahead of that and was honest with them. And, and credit to Wilkins as well for for handling it, like you said, pretty well. Um, but, yeah, I think this is a playing time thing where Wilkins' role was going to pretty much dry up given the other guards that Virginia Tech is going to be playing. Yeah, and just looking at Isaiah Wilkins' stats from last season, dropped off in minutes from Buzz Williams to Mike Young. His field goal percentage was 34%, which isn't great, 28.4% from three. When you look at Mike Young's offense, you either need to be a guy that you're going to get the ball, you can attack the paint, or a guy that can space the floor and shoot three-pointers. So he didn't really fit on the offensive side. And then, like you talked about, he's kind of a six-foot-three guard that defends in the paint. So there wasn't really a role for him moving forward on the defensive side. So if you're looking at it for both parties, one, it opens up a scholarship spot that we'll soon talk about. And two, it's probably better for a guy like Isaiah Wilkins, who's already losing all this time to go somewhere, maybe drop down a level and play a prominent role and get the most out of his eligibility. Yeah. And, you know, his role changed. I mean, he went from that Buzz Williams team being when he played, he was the fifth option on that team um, as far as on offense. And then he obviously just focused on his role defensively and on the glass. But then this year, you know, after Nolly and maybe Radford later in the year, there's probably like three guys on the court at the same time who you could all consider text number two or three option on offense. So wasn't the best fit for him this season in terms of having a role like that where he would have to create offensively. But I think it's a as good a time as it can be for him to make a move. I think we can all expect um, pending the return of college sports that they'll pass that one-time transfer exemption role where he probably won't have to sit out no matter where he goes. So, um, so he'll probably get two years and, you know, by doing it now, he gets ahead of that and um, will certainly have some options considering how, I mean, there's a ton of D1 basketball programs in the country, so he'll, he'll find a good spot for him. And Virginia Tech, prior to him departing, was full on scholarships. He leaves, enters the NCAA transfer portal, leaves an open spot, which was swiftly filled by Cartier Diara out of Kansas State, one of the top available transfer guards on the market, really. And a guy that comes from Kansas State, Chester Frazier, who is an assistant coach for the Virginia Tech men's basketball team, formerly coached at Kansas State, was his primary recruiter. So once he entered about a week ago, it seemed destined that Diara would take a heavy look at Virginia Tech, and once Wilkins left, it opened up that scholarship spot for him. He's a graduate transfer, which means he has one year to play and can play right away. 
And he's a guy that averaged 13.3 points per game, 4.2 assists per game, 3.8 rebounds per game, and 1.8 steals per game. Very good offensively, very good defensively. The one thing I want to mention, though, before we really dive into him, there's a lot of talk about character concerns and whatnot, and it's a very difficult situation when you're looking at Cartier Diara just because Kansas State was number one in the Big 12 in 2019. And then this past season, they were the worst team in the Big 12 because they lost a lot of guys. Diara was essentially the offense. He was running everything. He was running point. He was asked to do a whole lot, had a bunch of turnovers, still put in a very solid stat line, but things can get chippy when assistant coaches leave, other teammates leave. The team as a whole just isn't performing well. So I think he's a guy that was in a really tough situation. It makes sense to transfer. He trusted Frazier and knows that he won't have to carry everything if he goes to Virginia Tech. So I think some of the character concerns... Uh, should be put on the back burner just because he's entering a much better and healthier situation. Yeah, and he's you know he's going to fit into like we were talking about a whole host of host of guys coming back, guys like Radford and BB. Um, certainly, a lot more returning talent um, than maybe he had at Kansas State this year, where they can kind of fit together uh, more and more into his role. Um, I think he's a great pickup. It's really going to be interesting to see how Mike Young sets his rotation for all these guards. When you talk about BD, Bam, Basil, Maddox, Diara, Couture, Radford, Aline, that's a whole lot of guards to play, um, which means I think you'll see him playing a lot of the smaller four-guard lineups. Um I guess Radford gives you that flexibility considering how good he is on the glass. You're not really going to lose too much without that size. Um, So, I mean, I think this is clearly a sign that Mike Young wants to make the NCAA tournament next year and is not satisfied with, you know, we were talking last podcast about, you know, next year is probably the bubble year and it's okay if Virginia Tech doesn't make the NCAA tournament. But I think bringing in a guard with – you know, you talk about Aline coming back as a sophomore, Couture coming back as a sophomore, Jalen Cohn coming back. As, there's a lot of young talent to play, and Mike Young just went out and picked up a starter. He played 32 minutes a game at Kansas State, so he can't. Ex- I mean, I'm sure he expects to play somewhere around that same same level, um, which is going to gobble up a lot of those minutes that those younger guys would have played. So, I think it's a it's a Strong indication that Mike Young wants to win a lot and make the NCAA tournament next year. And in terms of his game, what I really like about him, he's a guy that attacks the basket. And when you look at Virginia Tech, they kind of lacked those types of players on the offensive side of the ball. A lot of guys that could shoot threes, but Diara is a guy that can take the pick and roll and looks to attack. And he played legit competition. He played against Kansas, a lot of really good Big 12 schools, a lot of really high ranked teams and was successful against them. And another thing I really like about him is a lot is made out of his offensive production, but he's a stellar 
defender in his own right. And I think when you're thinking of lineup possibilities, he's a guy that could play point guard from day one, push Beattie to the two guard. You're talking about one of the best defensive backcourts in the ACC. And on top of that, he's a guy that when you take out Landers Nolly from the equation, you're looking for a guy to be aggressive, drive to the paint, make a play happen. He's a guy that can do that. And I think when you look at his game, he just has so much going for him. He's very well-rounded. So I'm really excited to see how they will use him, the positions they will put him in, and what type of impact he makes. Yeah, good points. I think especially his ability off the dribble, which is what Tech needs. Radford can do it, but Radford also can't shoot. Um, so, you know, if Diara can be that guy who can take a guy off the dribble, they tried to do that do that with Nolly a lot last year, but Nolly couldn't beat anybody off the dribble, um, which just ultimately ended it in a lot of mid-range pull-up contested two-pointers. Um, so I think I think Diara brings a lot to the table. And I'm curious to see, knowing what I've been talking about with all the guards, and you mentioned BD, what BD's role becomes if Diara is playing point guard. Good points, I think, um, particularly Diara's ability off the bounce on offense is going to be huge. Tech didn't really have that this year. Like you covered Radford could do it a little bit. Um, Nolly, they relied on him a lot at the end of the shot clock. So if they can get a guy to, to be able to do that at the end of a, of a possession, that'll be huge. And then I think you covered defensively. I'll be interested to see what he does to Beatty's role. Clearly there's a defensive heavy lineup where you could get Beatty and him on the court at the same time but I also don't think that you could play that for 30 to 35 minutes so um, I, I would be curious to see if BD's role decreases in favor of uh, a Lee, Jalen Cone guys with a little more offense playing next to Diara most of the time Hey guys it's Matei from the future didn't think I'd be talking to you guys so soon. I'm now just editing this podcast and I was checking Twitter and Jeff Goodman just posted a little nugget about Virginia Tech's new transfer guard, Cartier Diara. As it turns out, the same day that he committed at night while everyone is sleeping, he decided to enter the 2020 NBA draft. Now, what does this mean for his future? It means that he can enter the NBA draft Garner feedback from all the scouts, see where he would fall in the draft, if anywhere, and then decide from there whether or not he would return. Now, just looking based on early projections, it doesn't appear that he would be drafted, but nonetheless, it's a tool that any player can use in college basketball that allows them to explore their professional opportunities, so why not take it? What this ultimately means is for now it's a wait-and-see approach if he will come to Virginia Tech, but I expect firmly that he will one day withdraw his name from the NBA draft. If anything, it's a very smart decision by Diara with so much uncertainty due to the pandemic. He's making sure that he's exploring all his options, professional, college, making sure that he's secure no matter what happens, if the season's delayed, if he has any professional opportunities. But I would not worry too much about it. I think he'll be back. I think he'll be suited up in the maroon and orange. And I think this speaks to what type of player he is. The last thing I want to talk about in regards to Virginia Tech basketball 
is this recruiting class right here. It is absolutely stellar. And to think that almost a year ago, I wrote an article about Mike Young being appointed the head coach of the Virginia Tech Hokies, and it had nearly 200 down votes, (laughs) to now (laughs) where Mike Young is bringing in guys like Joe Bamisil, whom we present as the Messiah, if you heard the last podcast, a four-star guy. <laughs> Darius Maddox, a, another guy, four-star. David Ngusan, a three-star guy that is so versatile and can fit so many different types of playing styles. And now Cartier Diara. I mean, this is one of the best recruiting classes in program history and it's technically the first true recruiting class for mike young so this just leaves a lot of expectations for the future and honestly we have to look back at this class and just say good job to the staff for what they've been able to do because it has been exceptional so far yeah you talk about with mike young um coming in right off the bat and landing guys like bamisil and maddox they've been Committed and signed on the dotted line for months now, um, which shows, I mean, those were, that's basically Mike Young landing two of his top targets right off the bat. Then he adds Ed Gison and Diara here in the last um, last two weeks. Um, so definitely a strong showing, especially after last year when he convinces Cone and Aline and Ojiako to come early. And clearly they're three critical pieces. Um, of the future for Virginia Tech basketball. So, I mean, 200 dislikes on your article, but um, <laughs> combine his recruiting success with, you know, a better season than initially expected. Uh, I think maybe everybody should go flip their down votes to an up vote on that article and see if they can get a late rally for that. <laughs> and maybe delete some of their comments because they weren't the kindest in regards to Mike Young, but... Regardless, or edit all, them, whatever. With all the commitment articles, I think we're net positive now. But all in all, great news out of the Virginia Tech basketball program. It's been a lot of fun to cover. And hopefully, when this coronavirus pandemic finally ends, we will be able to see all these guys on the court and see how high the heights of Virginia Tech basketball will be in year two of the Mike Young era. Moving on to some football recruiting, Virginia Tech landed a commitment about an hour and a half ago from the time of recording. Will Johnson, a three-star athlete, he's recruited to be a linebacker for Virginia Tech, has 20-plus offers, he's out of Maryland, and he's a really versatile defender. If you look at his 24-7 sports profile, it says that he's a safety But he's a guy that if you watch his tape, he plays around the line of scrimmage. They use him as an edge defender, rushing the quarterback, getting sacks. He plays kind of a nickel role where anytime the opposition is running, he's right there, the first guy to meet him. Uh, So he's a guy that probably will transition to backer at Virginia Tech. But he's a guy that Virginia Tech absolutely loves and we'll get into this a little later. So you look at his his rating, it's an 84, but he's a guy that was priority one for Virginia Tech. He was at the top of their board. Yeah, and I mean, versatile guy, athletes, probably accurate. He seems like if he's not a backer, he'll be 
kind of that whip nickel rover role. Um, So, I mean, if he's at 6'2", 6'3", now, 220, I mean, 200, and they think they can get up to 230 fairly easily, 240. Um, Definitely a big pickup there. You talk about the linebacker depth chart is quickly aging, I'd say, um, with Ashby. And then uh, Dax is already a junior somehow. Tisdale, wow. <laughs> guys, right? Um, so he, this linebacker is going to be a huge priority for this class um, just to get that next group in. And clearly he's a guy that they identified early and a lot of other guys jumped on him late. Um, I'd say his offer list is kind of those like tier three program people power five programs a lot of the maryland's boston colleges those type programs so um i think he's a guy that you'll see his offer list continue to grow but um i mean these are the kind of guys that virginia tech needs to to land a lot of is the three and four star guys that aren't enormously highly recruited and you know and then have the time to develop them and that's where Virginia Tech probably fell off in the last couple of years as they're playing a lot of guys like that, that without having the time to develop them because of the gaps in the roster. So you get Johnson in now as a backer and give them two years to marinate basically and, and develop on his own and all that stuff. And then he's ready to go in 2022, 2023. Um, that's a more, that's a better strategy to, to maintaining success as a program for Virginia Tech right now. And just one more point. I haven't really checked all the responses to his commitment to Virginia Tech. I'm not expecting it to be the warmest of receptions just because I talked about his rating being an 84, and I'll get into this in a little bit, but just being a guy that the staff is so high on is very important for this recruiting class and moving forward and getting guys that, and I, you know, Justin Hamilton recently tweeted it out right after he committed, but a guy that identifies with the culture, with their mentality, and the fit on defense that he's trying to run. Sometimes when you look at that, you know, it's so much more important than just plucking some other guy and putting him into your system and hoping he works out just because he has a better star designation. So I think this is a guy that, you know, fans may not be the most excited for, but a guy down the line we could be talking about as he outranked his ranking. Yeah, like I said, Virginia Tech has to get, I mean, every Virginia Tech class is pretty much going to have to get a lot of those guys. You look back through some of the classes, a guy like like Johnson reminds you maybe a little bit of Rayshard Ashby. as a. I mean, nothing about Rayshard Ashby is going to jump off the page necessarily committed in March, just like Johnson was the number seven seventy six player in the country. He was an 85 on the 24-7 composite. So, you know, not the highest rated player, but a guy that they were pretty darn confident was going to fit well in the system. And now here's Ashby going into his third year as the starter at Mike. So um, I think, you know, this isn't a guy that you're going to build a class around, but he's a guy that they feel really confident about and that's going to make up a good chunk of the class so if you can get those guys now that are clearly at the top of your board um i think that's a good sign 
I do want to discuss the Travion Henderson situation. This probably Ooh. it's probably old news by now, <laughs> but it's still sizzling hot. Travion Henderson is a five-star running back out of Virginia. You probably already know how this story ends, but I'm going to explain it anyway. He's the number 17 overall player in the 24-7 sports composite. He visited Virginia Tech prior to the outbreak. Loved his visit, was very candid with the staff. They rolled out the red carpet, showed him everything Virginia Tech has to offer, what his plan would be if he were to enroll at Virginia Tech, what role he would play, everything you can think of. Virginia Tech showed Henderson everything. Few weeks go by, he decides he's ready to make a decision. A lot of Virginia Tech fans are saying, well, the last place he physically visited was Virginia Tech. That seems like the likely destination. However, he decides to commit to Ohio State, a school that he has never visited once. Now, a lot of people were going on social media, on the boards, very, very disappointed and saying, you know, this this has larger implications on the rest of the Virginia Tech staff, their recruiting capabilities, and... I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. And if I get lost, Doug, just please reel me back in. But <laughs> just I'll do my at, best. <laughs> just looking at the Henderson situation, a five star, a five star that goes out of state. It happens all the time to Virginia Tech. It is unfortunate, but no matter what, you still have to try with these types of recruits, despite the odds. If it doesn't happen, as a fan, you are allowed to be disappointed. You you can call it a miss, but I think it's a bit immature to make broader judgments on the staff being capable of recruiting guys like this and how it relates to their jobs. See, Virginia Tech will probably go one for 20 on five-star recruits. But then you have guys like Doug Nestor, who wouldn't be a Hokie if Virginia Tech didn't try, or Demetrius Davis, who's a current commit. He would not be there if Virginia Tech didn't try to battle the big dogs. And I firmly believe that no matter who Virginia Tech had as the head coach, there's an innate disadvantage at the moment to compete with programs like Ohio State because it doesn't matter how much you show. They rolled out the red carpet. They put as much effort as you possibly can, but in the end, an elite program such as Ohio State has an idea around it that Virginia Tech just can't compete with, and it will always outshine whatever Virginia Tech tries to put in front of these types of recruits. And the reality of Virginia Tech and the expectations is, and we've seen a lot of comparisons to Wisconsin, a program that honestly I wanted to go to uh, and is a bit out there just because of the behemoths of offensive linemen that they have. But it's still a comparison because Wisconsin typically recruits around 30 to 40. They get three-star guys that they believe in, local guys, and they build them up year after year. And I think that's the case study for what Virginia Tech has to do, what they have done getting these guys that they believe in, such as a Will Johnson, guys that fit the culture, fit the system they're trying to run, and not just reaching out and grabbing four-star guys. 
it can happen and Virginia Tech can aim for a top 25 class. But if they end up in the late 20s with a top 30 class, a top 40 class, and they show proven results on the field, does it really matter? Does it really matter at the end of the day? And quite honestly, I don't think Virginia Tech is going to land any five stars until they return to their prominence that they showed early on, winning 10 games every single season. Because right now, the allure of Virginia Tech, in the grand scheme of things, is not even close to Ohio State. So I think, honestly, Virginia Tech is going to lose on top-tier talent from Virginia unless they slowly piece together these runs. They get these guys that maybe are under-recruited mixed with guys like Demetrius Davis, build something special, and then ultimately win on the football field. Because right now, if you look at the past six, seven years, that really hasn't happened. I completely agree with you. I think... I think expecting Virginia Tech to load up on four and five star guys is completely unrealistic, um, considering the competition level in terms of the other programs that that are going after these guys and 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 the success that they have had. The fact is, Virginia Tech went six and seven in twenty eighteen, and then eight and five in twenty nineteen. They were better in twenty nineteen, but still not, you know back at that national relevance where they're competing for the ACC championship. And I think, I think until Virginia Tech wins enough on the field to expect them to go head to head with Ohio State multiple times a year or to go head to head with Clemson or somebody like that for multiple guys and win multiple guys, it's not going to happen. I think... You can see over the last four or five years, Virginia Tech has recruited well with specific play- one or two players. You're talking about Devin Hunter, Dax Hollyfield, Doug Nestor, Demetrius Davis. These are a couple players a year where you're where you're able to break through and and out recruit, you know, one of these blue blood programs. But when you're talking about a guy like Henderson's level, um, that's not always you're not always going to be able to have that breakthrough without without the wins on the field. And that's why this 2020 season is going to be so important. You know, I think a guy like Henderson is committed to Ohio State. But you mentioned that he's not he hasn't visited Ohio State. So, I mean, he can't be I'm not going to say he's going to flip, but like I'm if Virginia Tech goes out and beats Penn State and then has a great season and maybe they're playing Miami in November for the ACC Coastal, another huge game. I mean, these are nationally relevant games that not only get this current class excited and get guys visiting and um, potentially flipping to, to hop on board, but it's I think it's really about when you're recruiting at this level, it's got to be the it's got to be basically a two-year process, which you have to be nationally relevant, playing big games and winning big games for basically the two years where you're talking to the guys. And Tech went six and seven in 2018 and eight and five in 2019. You know, I think if they go ten and two and beat Penn State, play for the ACC championship, something like that, now you're talking a whole different story with guys that are still floating around this year and then also heading into next year. But I think, you know, Ohio, like Ohio State is a 
unbelievable program, unbelievable resources. Win every year, like you're not going to go head to head with them consistently and win. It's just not going to happen. Like Tech got Doug Nestor a couple years later, a couple years earlier. Tech lost Brady Taylor to Ohio State when Ohio State decided they wanted him. So, like Ohio State picks and chooses who they want, and they can convince two five-star running backs to go to them at the same time. And they, it's just a completely different ball game, and it takes a completely different relationship with the kid, and it takes winning games on the field for that to happen. Virginia Tech's not gonna, not gonna land better than a top twenty, top thirty recruiting class until they're winning ten games and sniffing around the edges of the college football playoff. Yeah, and I don't want to spin it in the way that it sounds like Henderson is not a loss because he definitively is a loss, but I think that he's not the defining factor in the program's future or you know, a case where other five stars are going to follow because even if Virginia Tech is to land a five star, it's going to be few and far bet- in between until, like you said, they start showing the success on the field. But I just want to reiterate that expectations for fans in regards to recruiting, it's always going to be Virginia Tech is going to try to swing and they may miss a thousand times and hit one home run, but that's where they're at right now. But I just think that ultimately it's not such a bad thing to look exactly at these stars, say this is exactly how Virginia Tech has to recruit because the difference between Henderson and a guy like Keyshawn King may be 0.3 milliseconds in their 40 and playing different competitions or going to different camps. There's so many variables that go into this. And I just think that ultimately expectations for Virginia Tech, you should want to hit top 25. That should absolutely be a goal. But if that doesn't happen, it doesn't mean you're not going to win 10 games if you have a top 40 class. And I think that's all good and circling back to people's frustration maybe is that now it's important for we've seen this happen and Virginia Tech misses then on two, three, four, and five, and then they take six. And that's kind of what I was I've been talking about since they hired Tierlink and Tap on the defensive line is it's okay to miss out on the number one guy on your board because of the competition, but you better get two or three as opposed to five or six. I think that's where you get into the difference of whether you're an eight and four program, a 10 and two program or 12 and out program is, is are you, are you landing enough for the guys at the top of the board and not having to, to kind of go down and land like your fifth best running back or your, you know, sixth defensive end or, you know, guys like that. You have to, even if you miss on Travion Henderson, if you're taking running back, you better come back with your number two or number three running back. And and that's where you're going to, you know, elevate the program little by little. Absolutely. And the way that I evaluate recruiting success for Virginia Tech, we talk about we talk about a guy like Will Johnson. You know, he's higher on Virginia Tech sport than four star guys, higher ranked three star guys. So if he's the number one guy and he may not look like it by judging by his 24 seven sports composite ranking, but if he doesn't pan out and we see other cases like that, which don't pan out, the success isn't there on the field. We start to see these six and seven seasons. That's when you can say the recruiting philosophy just doesn't work. 
if Virginia Tech, however, is able to do that with these guys that are ranked all over and are winning nine, ten games a year, then I think you could take a step back and say, okay, we trust the development, the direction of this program, and maybe it's not so important that five-star guy Joe Schmo is going to Ohio State, even though he lives in Virginia. Yeah, and I think perfect examples probably a couple of years ago with the running back position when Devin Ford decides to go to Penn State, Ed Tech comes back and lands Keyshawn King, a guy that they were very, very high on. So I think that's a situation where, yeah, that you would have loved to have Devin Ford and get that commitment and get that in-state buzz and all that stuff. But recruiting's a crapshoot, and, you know, the difference between Devin Ford and Keyshawn, Keyshawn King, you're, you don't really know. And if you're high on if they're number one and number two or three or four or whatever, you just don't want to get down to whoever number six or seven would have been that year, and that's where you're going to drop off and um, not get the kind of talent that you need to compete with. Essentially, Clemson is who you're trying to compete with at this point. Let's move on to some happier thoughts. Our favorite <laughs> so football memories. <laughs> happy thoughts, yes, yes. Well, most of so you happy. think. <laughs> we'll find out right. soon enough, Mr. Douglas. But All right. we're going to dive into our favorite football memories while students. I attended Virginia Tech from 2013 to 2017. So the beginning of my college career was not the best uh, in the late Frank Beamer years, with the last two years being under Justin Fuente. It just so happens that all of my favorite memories have come under actually one of them comes under the Frank Beamer era. So I'll start with that one. Ohio State 2015, a year after Virginia Tech goes and beats the Buckeyes on the road. The return game, they come to Lane Stadium. This is one of the first games that I have to cover Virginia Tech athletics. I was a sophomore at this point. I'm going into the atmosphere around Lane Stadium. I've seen, you know, that was the most away fans I've probably ever seen in my entire life. There was buses upon buses just bringing Buckeye fans to Lane Stadium. Every inch of campus was covered with tailgaters. And I'm walking by with my little media pass, my camo Crocs, just taking it all in. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I get into the stadium and luckily I had a field pass for that game. And I remember, you know, one of the first games I'm covering, just looking out into the stands, absolutely full. It was the first game that I've experienced at Lane Stadium where you could not see an empty seat in the house. And I just remember that entire first half with the fadeaway Ryan Malik rollout from Michael Brewer throwing to the corner of the end zone. I was standing right there. I think if you look up the game, you could probably see me in the far back, just swarmed by all these different media members. It was the most packed the sidelines have ever been. But just hearing Ryan Malik screaming, Michael Brewer running up to him, Augie Conti lifting him up, and then looking into the crowd and just seeing everyone cheer wearing orange and maroon and the red not doing too much in the far section one of the craziest games that i got to cover unfortunately it didn't end out well for virginia tech they lost 42 (laughs) to 28 michael brewer notably got knocked out after that locker room clip 
of him saying it's going to take a lot more than that to get me out of this game. Uh, ends up breaking his collarbone shortly after halftime. Virginia Tech was winning at the half, but truly one of the most remarkable experiences. And that was the first time that I looked around at Lane Stadium, heard the noise. You know, I could hear my heart beating inside my chest, and it was just a surreal experience. Yeah, that 2015, am I needed? You weren't, and then you were, and now you're not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, that 2015 game was a pretty great atmosphere, especially for that first half, I think. Once Brewer went out, uh, he could tell Virginia Tech was fighting uphill with Brendan Motley at that point. And then uh, Braxton Miller basically ended the game with a spin move. Um, but I'm glad you pointed out that Ryan Malik touchdown. Still just, that was the perfect touchdown in like the situation of the game. Virginia Tech has a chance to take the lead and they execute this play that's slow developing and Basically, the entire stadium sees Malik wide open, and Brewer throws this like lob just to him standing alone. So you can, you know, the touchdown is coming for seconds before it even happens. So it's just that collective like, oh, this is about to happen. That when the entire stadium sees a play before it happens, um, was pretty cool, and that was my first game back as a graduate um, of Virginia Tech. It was a Monday night and I had work Tuesday morning. Oh man. Back back in Richmond. It was the worst (laughs) day of my life. (laughs) Thank thank God my parents went to that game and drove me back to Richmond afterwards. We got back at like four in the morning and then I was uh, back at work at, you know, eight 30 or whatever it was. Luckily, both of my bosses were out that day, so I, I was completely useless that day. But you were um, coasting by. <laughs> it was, I was. It was not coasting. I could tell you that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I went to Virginia Tech from 2011 to 2015, which is probably the worst time you could ever go to Virginia Tech for Virginia Tech sports. I count, counted it up after 2011 season was nice. That was the year um, Tech played Clemson in the ACC championship, but wasn't that nice because Tech got stomped twice by Clemson that year. The first year was twenty. The first game was twenty eleven, and it was October first. I think was the game, which you would think would be pretty nice Blacksburg weather, but it was awful. It was like thirty one degrees and raining, and Tech <laughs> and Tech got smoked twenty three to three. Um, the very next week was probably the highlight of that year, which was that Miami Logan Thomas game where he ran up the middle with like, I don't know, it was at 20 seconds left on fourth and one to win the game. Um, but yeah, after that, after 2011, it was, <laughs> it was a pretty terrible time to be uh, a Virginia Tech student as far as sports goes. I counted it up and Tech went 26 and 23. My final three wow. years there, which is pretty brutal. Um, that included, I think that was the last two years where Virginia Tech was four and six and needed two wins to uh, to continue the bowl streak. So, but the highlight, you said Ohio State twenty fifteen. The the highlight was by far Ohio State twenty fourteen, going to Columbus, 
It's about five and a half hours from Blacksburg. About two and a half, three hour mark is the uh, casino in somewhere in West Virginia. So you stop there on the way there, play a little craps. I won like $40 in an hour on the way nice. there. We, and we thought it was incredible because we knew that was going to pay for that night in Columbus. <laughs> um, continue on, stay at this awful, awful days in. I think when we showed up, there were cops in the parking lot. Oh man! Um, but the whole place, the whole place was basically tech students because it was definitely the cheapest place. Um, but just going that game, you talk about atmosphere and tailgating and hundred. I think it, they set the record for attendance in that game. Um, but just a unbelievable experience to be there and i mean my my seats were i mean you're st- i'm still going up um but to have that happen was pretty wild and you know lebron is on the sideline of that game and all this crazy stuff so um that was that was a great great thing and then you know you're leaving columbus sunday morning on an emotional high and fred logan walks into the 7-Eleven or convenience store right on the edge of campus right before we leave and they're selling like 30 racks of Natty Light for $9.99. Bargain. <laughs> like, what a bargain. We're taking all your beer and we left. It was great. <laughs> yeah, what I what I remember about that game and again, I you know, we all turned it on and we're watching football regardless of the opponent, regardless of our expectations at that point. You know, I, this was before uh, VT scoop for me. So I'm just, you know, rooting for whatever product is on TV. I'm watching it. But I remember one of my friends said, Hey, I'm driving to Columbus. I have an extra ticket. Do you want it? And at that point I was like, Ohio state top 10. Nah, I think, I think I can stay here. Missed out. (laughs) Of course, that is one of my biggest regrets from college is not going to that game. Now I do believe had I gone it would have altered the course of history and probably Virginia Tech would have lost. So maybe it's probably so. Yeah. Good thing. Good decision. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you to me. But, you know, even just watching that on television here in Donovan Riley with the capper of the night was, you know, one of the best calls uh, for my time at Tech. So that game was awesome. Unfortunately, uh, I was a little too tired by the time the rally downtown started it was more of a riot than a rally. Um, you went to bed before the rally? You were asleep? I was asleep. That's my second biggest regret of college. <laughs> but, I, you know, I miss people climbing up poles and absolute pandemonium on Main Street. Um, I think it was, you know, the game was pretty late at night. So it must have been around 1 or 2 a.m. when everyone was just gathered downtown, and, uh, you know, being what 19 20 years old i can't go downtown so uh i just totally missed it and was asleep in my bed with a smile knowing that virginia tech beat ohio state we won't talk about the week after but uh, i was was gonna say just to highlight just how awful it was (laughs) as a student (laughs) you win the biggest like road upset in school history probably and then you lost the very next week you lost to east carolina but People forget that Virginia Tech was down 21 nothing in the first quarter to East Carolina. So it wasn't even like a temporary like moment of joy. It was just like 
oh crap, now we're down 21 nothing to East Carolina. What is happening? Um, but still a great experience. And I mean, as far as seeing big time college football stadiums, you want to talk about going to like an Alabama game or an LSU game or something like that. It's going to Ohio State game is, you know, pretty much at that level, which is probably why Travion Henderson went there. Oh, man, we're bringing that back up. All right, going off of Ohio State, I covered 2015, you had 2014. The next, or actually, this might be my all-time favorite memory as a student. Uh, This time I was also covering Virginia Tech. This was my senior year, Battle at Bristol, uh, the record for most fans in attendance. My roommates and I got in the car, went to the campsite right outside the stadium, Tents were just one after the other, just literally pinned together. So many people on the camping grounds. The first night, there was a guy that only knew three songs. I think it was like Wagon Wheel, Rocky Top, and Ender Sandman. Um, And it was one of the weirdest concerts, but it was a lot of fun because everyone's just camping out. And for me, that was my first camping uh, experience just like that for a football game. Um, and just being with everyone and, uh, you know, the, the next day rolls around, it's game day and people are waking up, uh, eating their uncrustable peanut butter, jelly, frozen sandwiches, uh, and alcohol for breakfast. And, you know, I, I'm so excited at that point, knowing I get to cover this historic event, uh, did not partake in the tailgating that day. However, I did follow You're so lame. You went Integrity. to sleep after Ohio State. You went to sleep after Ohio State and you didn't tailgate at Bristol. Lame. <laughs> Journalistic integrity. But I did go to one of the most peculiar tailgates, which was like on a random dirt hill uh, where the Tennessee fans and Virginia Tech fans were separated. Ultimately, right before I left, Tennessee fans were throwing beer cans at Virginia Tech fans and then vice versa. So I'm glad I got out when things got ugly. But uh, that kind of set the stage for for what was about to happen. Uh, I got to the stadium probably or I should say raceway uh, three hours before the game even kicked off. I was one of the first people out there and it was a surreal experience. Just, you know, this giant raceway in front of you you can't even walk up it because it's too speedway 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 and you know slowly players are coming out to warm up and you see both teams you see josh dobbs right in front of you um you know bruce smith was there uh just seeing him in person right in front of me uh all these historic legends for virginia tech were there And seeing Peyton Manning in the flesh was super weird. Uh, Again, five feet away from me, I was trying to get into all the action, trying to listen to all the conversations I could. And, you know, finally everyone's coming out. You see the big fireworks. You see the stands where they're uh, making the American flag all the way around. And literally looking into the stands... People don't even look like people at that point. There's just so many people. Your brain can't even process it. It's like cardboard cutouts of just figures. Uh, Maybe my vision's not good enough, but I couldn't see anyone. I just saw colors and just being on the field. Again, it's one of those experiences that your body can't handle. 
emotionally or physically. So you're just kind of in your own head, hearing your heart pumping and just so excited for the occasion and the moment. And honestly, that first quarter watching, I think it was 14 zero at that point, uh, you know, just hearing every at that point I was in the press box, but all the Virginia Tech fans were jumping up and down and it felt like the press box was going to collapse onto the ground because it could not handle that many people jumping up and down. But, you know, literally the wall shaking. Uh, of course, then there were, what, five fumbles the remainder of the game. Tennessee ultimately ends up winning. Uh, but still, nonetheless, just a great moment to be a part of, a historic moment. And honestly, I reference that game, maybe not the venue, but of the two fan bases and how passionate they are about their programs. And I think it's fair to say both programs aren't at the elite level at the current moment. So, But both fans that are accustomed to winning historically, uh, it's always good to see just two proud fan bases going head to head. And that's why, honestly, I would love to see it in the future. The only bad thing about the experience was after writing the post-game story, I walked out and it was only Tennessee fans. And for about an hour and a half while I'm waiting to go back to the campsite because there's so much traffic, everyone's trying to leave. All I heard were drunk Tennessee fans screaming, good old Rocky Top. And it was stuck in my head for weeks. And I hate that song. I hate this. <laughs> I hate it so much. I hope to never hear it again. So I'm going to put in some noise-canceling headphones when they start seeing that. But other than that, I would love to see Tennessee and Virginia Tech once again. Yeah, I think you covered it. Um, I will say the drive back from Bristol to Richmond was almost as miserable as my day at work at after the Ohio State game. Um, not a good experience. That's a long drive from Bristol. Um, but I agree. I think... I'd love to see like like a a double home and home where you know every fifth year you play home and away tech in Tennessee and then every fifth year they play at Bristol or something because um, I think for the fans it was a unique experience every once in a while um, I certainly wouldn't want to do it every year I know I had seats on the on the sideline I mean they were enormously high but. At least it still kind of looked like a football game. I don't know about anybody who's had in the end zone. Um, I know that's why they built that monster uh, jumbotron um, for that purpose. So I don't think you would want to do it every year, or every two years, or every three years. But I think like every five years, once a decade, something like that, um, it would be really cool. But I, I completely agree. I think I think Virginia Tech and Tennessee should play every year basically i think that's a natural that's a as natural rivalry as it gets and um talking about good road trips as a student being able to go to knoxville it's only three hours away from blacksburg um i think that would be i think you know that's one of the things i wish college football would change is just for the power of five nicks all your group of five and fcs games play all p5 schools Let's get Tennessee on the schedule, get West Virginia on the schedule, throw two more P5 schools in there and just play 12 P5 schools a whole lot better um, than eight P5 schools. And then, like, 
North Alabama Liberty and Old Dominion. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just be sure so. to pack a riot shield with you in case Tennessee fans throw beer cans at you. That's my one yes. note. It's not surprising that you left early for that. I'm sure it was a great experience for the people there, but you tend to dip out early of great experiences. So I don't think getting hit in the head with a beer can <laughs> is a great experience, but nonetheless, um, I'll go ahead and give you my final uh, best football memory while at Virginia Tech. And this one is just purely as a fan. I didn't get to say one. Okay, fine. Go ahead. I, I didn't have one because... We went 26 and 23 after 2011. So back to you. All right. Thanks for that. <laughs> so the final one I'll go over. I mean, Clemson ACC championship game was one of them, but uh, just all time favorite memory is just being someone in the stands, not having to cover it whatsoever was actually at UNC, the hurricane Matthew game four of us decided to drive down into the eye of the storm and go to UNC. There was barely anyone there. Unsurprisingly, there's a ton of Virginia Tech fans. Nobody seen on campus. It was very eerie, a lot of rain, a lot of wind. And we're just walking around not knowing if the game is going to be played. Uh, we get there. We see Virginia Tech wearing white jerseys, just walking out of the tunnel of the locker room at at uh, at UNC. And it's funny because they're all hyped up. And then 30 seconds later, after warming up, they're completely drenched. And it was possibly one of the worst performed games just because you couldn't throw the football whatsoever. It was Gerard Evans versus Mitch Trubisky. Um, I forgot the final score is like 35 to three something around that mark. Um, but just being in the stands, watching all the UNC fans just ducking away under the rafters and the Virginia Tech fans just singing in the rain and enjoying the moment. And there are so many shots of my friends getting on television because honestly, there is nobody out there at that game. Uh, so just watching that and the celebrations of of. Virginia Tech just sliding across the end zone in the water and the poor cheerleaders <laughs> were wearing like these massive coats and it just wasn't helping them. They couldn't do any of their routine. Uh, the coaches looked absolutely miserable. Uh, it, it was just it was a really funny dynamic where the team is doing so well against a ranked UNC team and it looks like Virginia Tech is having so much fun on the field just because they're finding all the success and then just looking over at the UNC fans and the UNC team and they're like, we need to get out of here. Maybe we can get a rain cancellation. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely soaked from that game. I was wearing jeans, terrible move on my part, uh, but didn't once think about going under the rafters to, to get dry. It was just too much fun moving all the way up to the hedges around UNC's sideline. And, you know, just walking out of that game, relishing the moment and having my first Zaxby's experience and smiling about. Wow. Wow. First Zaxby's experience as a senior in college. But, uh, yeah, just reflecting on the game and all the action that happened. It was one of the best moments in my college career by far. Zaxby's is good, except it's ridiculous that they make you char they charge you extra for the Zax sauce. Like, come on, 
I'm with you there, but when you're it's, coming it's from, <laughs> when you're running out of a hurricane and you're starving and soaked and you're oh. sitting down in a nice warm Zaxby's, you pay whatever they ask for. Zaxby's. I understand that. I'm just saying, out of principle, like Zaxby's. If I could make a request, Zaxby's, um, I would request that he stop charging <laughs> for some Zach sauce. Comes in a little container. It doesn't need to be fifty cents, um, but. Another good memory from you that I did not have during my time at Virginia Tech. Um, I was just thinking about it. Probably the only other good memory I had from Virginia Tech athletics <laughs> was um, the uh, Oklahoma State basketball game uh, against Marcus Smart when Tech won and went to 7-0. and um, I was courtside for that game, covering that game. So that was a cool experience. I remember uh, Mark Giannato, who is now the columnist memphis for the memphis paper or whatever <laughs> we sitting there watching watching the game and the game ends and he's like well that was a pretty fun one and i was like yeah i've never had anything fun to hear at virginia tech so this is good <laughs> and, and um, you're lucky too because you got to go courtside and when i started writing right. about the basketball team they moved the media all the way up into you know the top of i don't know whatever section but uh definitely not courtside yeah. Courtside was awesome, but um, <laughs> after Virginia Tech beat Oklahoma State, then they finished last in ACC. So, <laughs> just I mean, 2011, 2015 was a lost era, a lost, a lost generation. <laughs> I, I feel really bad for you because technically the segment was favorite football memories. So for you to have to pull out a basketball one really defines your time <laughs> in Virginia Tech athletics. Well, but... we can say when Evan texted us and. Suggested we do a podcast on our favorite memories while students. So I was like, well, that'll be a short one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's all I have. Any any final thoughts that you have on anything we covered tonight? No, just that we'll be back in two weeks. Um, we'll be previewing the spring game. The virtual spring game, which is obviously <laughs> going to be simulated. It's, uh, it's a, you know, the first, <laughs> the first spring game that gets televised. Joseph Fuente wins another one. <laughs> his his program still operates in the dark and will for the foreseeable future. So I'm sure he's happy about that. But in all seriousness, we'll be back in two weeks. Maybe we'll bring on a guest and maybe we'll see you in a week. Not sure yet, but Whoa. we'll see you when we see you. Into the world.